AODC podcast for January 2021. I'm John Baker. Brand new year, 2021 is here. And judging by our recent activity levels, it's off to a great start. Um, now, of course, the word great is relative, uh, but seeing that we are almost a year into a global pandemic and coming off of six years of depressed activity levels, at this point, any positive news is a bonus, if you ask me. So I hope you all had an excellent Christmas break. However it looked for you, things were obviously very different for a lot of people, but I hope it was still enjoyable for you in whatever form it took. Um, and personally, I'm excited about 2021. I, I think we're going to have a great year in the Canadian oil and gas industry and especially in the services sector. So as far as the podcast goes, we have a new industry update sponsor and we are excited about that. Rigger Talk has signed on and we are very happy to have Chris and Lindsay and the crew over there as part of the show. We are still looking for a title sponsor as well. So if you're interested, now is a great time to get involved because we are right at the beginning of what uh, has all the indications of another jam-packed year in Canadian energy. So there you go. Speaking of jam-packed, our show this month is quite full. We have CAODC CEO Mark Schultz joining us for our year in review, where we break down the CAODC member activity and review some of the major events and uh, milestones in the previous year for the association and its members. And then we're joined by Mr. Jerry Radui, president of Clear Directional Drilling Solutions. Uh, Jerry is the first guest from our new directional drilling division, which we will be announcing this month. And we're very excited about that as well. Uh, if you're not familiar with our Leadership for Energy campaign, um, CAODC has been hosting town halls and striking up conversations with people from across the energy services sector and asking questions about really how uh, we can best work together to deal with the challenges that we face as an industry. And there are many of them, as you know. Um, just a couple days ago, as a matter of fact, we kind of kicked off the year with uh, the cancellation of a pretty major project for for us here in Canada, especially Western Canada and especially Alberta, Saskatchewan. So there are lots of things that we are dealing with as an industry um, and moving into the future, those things are not going away and we need to uh, address them successfully if we're going to succeed. So the choices we make right now and how we position ourselves with our stakeholders, uh, be it the general public, um, prevailing governments, the international community, uh, regulators, investors, all of these things will have lasting impacts on our ability to uh, persevere. And so it's an important time and, and uh, we'll continue to be asking questions to all of you and listening to your feedback on the best way for us to proceed. So let's jump right into the industry update and review December's data before we then get into the year in review. Our industry update is brought to you by Rigger Talk, the global energy services network. Get pinned on the map today and join Rigger Talk's growing community of over 350,000 energy professionals worldwide. You can find them at riggertalk.com. Okay, on the drilling side, in December we had 2,503 operating days compared with 3,639 in December of 2019 for a decrease of 31% year over year. That same 31% decrease we saw last month as well. Active rigs for the month averaged 98 down from 159 in 2019, or a decrease of 12,200 jobs year over year. Our registered drilling fleet as of January 1st is 488, down 8 from last month, and down 26 from January 1st, 2020, when we had 514 registered rigs. For a bit of perspective, we began 2014 uh, the beginning of the downturn with 826 registered rigs. So we've lost about 41% of the fleet over the past seven years. 
Provincially, in December, Alberta averaged 71% of active rigs. BC had 17%, Saskatchewan 11%, and Manitoba 1%. In 2019, Alberta had 71% of active rigs, Saskatchewan 18%, BC 6%, Manitoba 2%, and we had 3% of rigs with uh, no province specified. Obviously, the biggest shift in provincial distribution year over year is the increase in drilling in BC, with that province seeing an 11% gain exiting 2020. The other storyline coming out of 2020, and one that will be interesting to watch in 21, is the ratio of oil to natural gas wells. In December of 2019, on average, 106 rigs were drilling for oil and 43 were drilling for gas. In December of this year, 52 rigs were drilling for oil and 43 were drilling for gas. Looking at the early January numbers, it seems oil wells are starting to outpace gas again so far in 21. And it'll be uh, interesting to see just how things break down as the year progresses. On the service rig side, operating hours in December were down 19% over 2019 totals. This year we saw 71,582 op hours versus 88,334 in 2019, or a decrease of 16,752. Month over month, we had 76,122 operating hours in November, so we're down 4,540 hours, or 6%. The working service rate count was down 1 from last month to 446, and down 67 year over year. Hours per working rig are up 5 year over year, from 112 to 117, and they are down from last month's 125. Provincially on the service side, Alberta saw 67% of activity in December, Saskatchewan 26%, BC 4%, and Manitoba 3%. Last year, the provincial breakdown had Alberta at 71%, Saskatchewan 20%, BC 4%, and Manitoba at 3%. So Saskatchewan has lost essentially 6% of activity, and Alberta has gained about 4% of that year over year. According to their January 12 short-term energy outlook, the U.S. Energy Information Administration is forecasting U.S. energy consumption will rise by 2.6% in 2021 after falling by 7.8% in 2020. For the year 2020, EIA estimates that global cons consumption of petroleum and liquid fuels averaged 92.2 million barrels per day, down 9 million barrels per day from 2019. In 2021, they anticipate consumption growth of 5.6 million barrels per day for a total of 97.8 million. EIA estimates global liquid fuels inventories rose at a rate of 6.5 million barrels per day in the first half of 2020 before declining at a rate of 2.4 million barrels per day in the second half of 2020. They forecast global inventories will continue to fall, declining at a rate of 600,000 barrels per day in 2021. On the production side, EIA lists a decline of 900,000 barrels per day and predict an additional 200,000 barrels per day will fall off this year, which supports their estimate for WTI pricing of $49.81 US, significantly higher than their listed 2020 average of $39.17. Switching to gas, EIA expects Henry Hub prices will rise to an annual average of $3.01 per million British thermal units in 21, up from the Henry Hub spot price average of $2.03 last year. In the U.S., they predict current high gas storage levels and lower consumption will be offset by lower production levels and ultimately inventory withdrawals will outpace the five-year average to finish the winter. For the year, EIA predicts power consumption in the U.S. to rise by 1.5% after falling by 4% in 2020. As of today, uh, January 22, we have 183 active rigs compared with 121 this time last month. Of those 183 rigs, 61% are drilling for oil and 39% 
for gas. So we're already seeing a little bit of a shift in the ratio at the beginning of this year from the last couple months in 2020, an increase on the oil side. So who knows? It's going to be a great year. Uh, we're hoping for a lot of activity. Anyway, uh, that's it for the industry update for January 2021. Our industry update is brought to you by Rigger Talk, the global energy services network. Get pinned on the map today and join RiggerTalk's growing community of over 350,000 energy professionals worldwide. Check them out at RiggerTalk.com. All right, we've got a couple of great interviews coming up for you. First of all, CAODC CEO Mark Schultz, and then Mr. Jerry Radui, president of Clear Directional Solutions. Welcome back to the CAODC podcast. We are joined now for our year in review by CAODC CEO, my boss, Mark Schultz. Great Mark, to be here, John. Welcome. Welcome to 2021. Glad to be in 2021 as opposed to 2020. That is for sure. Onwards and upwards. Um, we're going to do a quick review for our listeners of uh, the year that was terms of activity and some of the major milestones that uh, the association achieved uh, operationally. Uh, so let's begin. Where do you want to start? Well, I think where it, it, uh, it starts is our response to our immediate response to the pandemic, John. Um, <clears throat> you know, as we, as we saw COVID-19 unfold and the dramatic um, reduction in our, the demand in our commodities that we produce, we saw the rig fleet completely collapse, and then we had a public health emergency that we had to respond to. So our members uh, immediately and quickly um, sat down, collaborated on best practices of how to shepherd their uh, field employees through these precarious and uncertain times. So we created a CAODC pandemic planning guide for drilling and service contractors, and in fact, many other industry sectors um, utilize that standard in the field to help them with an action plan to protect uh, and ensure the health and safety of their of their employees while at the same time ensuring their operations can continue you know the other thing that i have to mention john i, I think uh, we're excited uh, you know in the next uh, coming days here we're going to be officially launching our directional drilling division uh, out of our strategic review of our association came a, a desire to increase our influence, increase our mandate within the service uh, sector. And so we expanded our membership. And so we're excited and delighted to see seven new companies join the membership the first time in, well, over uh, uh, 40 years, really, um, that we've introduced a new division, that being the offshore uh, drillers in the 1980s. A lot of transportation issues, John, that we continue to push. Uh, we ended up securing a brand new transportation MOA in the province of Saskatchewan for our service rig contractors, which uh, treats uh, service rigs uh, differently than uh, long-haul commercial vehicles, which they should. They spend most of their time in the field, and so we get concessions from governments to allow us to have some more efficiency in how we're regulated on the transportation front. Um, you know, we recommended a range of economic recovery policy um, recommendations to both federal and provincial governments, helping with the liquidity needs of our members and reducing operating costs, uh, uh, such as uh, deferrals in WCB. Uh, we, we looked at things uh, like extending um, uh, liens on, on wells through our participating in the prompt payment legislation here in the province of Alberta. We introduced the level three training syllabus that helps standardize the training in our, our recommended practices for our members. ESG obviously uh, was, was uh, front and center for us this year uh, as we participated in um, ESG working groups with the International Association of Drilling Contractors and really looking at how we, how we uh, establish a North American uh, approach to ESG within the drilling and service rig industry, and then a few other other uh, uh, you know pieces to note here, John rig data. I mean, this is a big 
uh, piece of what the CODC does, uh, at least for public markets, is we aggregate drilling activity and we introduced a, 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 some new reports uh, and we really wanted to ensure the uh, that we are as accurate on our daily information as possible and so we constantly try to ensure our databases uh, is as uh, is up to date and as accurate as, as possible so look that's uh, I mean that's kind of a long list of, of uh, kind of the, the, the big issues we've been we've been working on and you know I just want to really thank our members uh, who are uh, who really you know it's the and they're volunteers of the lifeblood of this association and I want to thank our board of directors our advisory committees or our operation committees and then uh, just members that we interact with day to day you know I can tell you John um, both you and I know this that our culture internally within CAODC is absolutely relentlessly devoted uh, to ensuring that our members succeed and are successful and have a, a business environment that they can uh, be profitable in. And so we work day in and day out to ensure that our members are always front and center on the public policy front and to make sure we always have their back. So, mm -hmm. Well, uh, and a couple of points there. You mentioned rig data and uh, I'd like to thank all of the uh, rig data admin who um, did a fantastic job of getting their data input into the system, um, drilling, of course, daily and monthly, and then on the service side monthly, our compliance levels were, I think, the highest they've ever been, certainly the highest they've been with the new uh, rig data system. So thank you very much to uh, our rig data admin because that's an important part of uh, what we do as an association. And speaking of that, Let's just uh, kind of dive into the numbers a bit here. We got them in front of us. Uh, so, you know, you talked about the pandemic, you know, being front and center right away. And when you look at through uh, January and February, we came out of the gates pretty hot. We had uh, 265 active rigs in January, 257 in February. Um, you know, uh, we were just, we were over 13,000 operating days on the drilling side. And, uh, and even in, in through March, the numbers kind of were sustained. Uh, but then you look at uh, right here, as we get into April, and we go from 123 active rigs to 28, followed by 21, and then 18. So that is just a dramatic drop off in terms of, of activity. And holy smokes. Um, that's where all of those operational things that you talked about really come into play and uh, and really sort of, I guess, help members deal with that because we've never seen anything like it. Well, and keep in mind, I mean, the beginning of 2020, we were anticipating a recovery. Um, you know, we were in back in 2019, at the end of 2019, when we were forecasting, um, we fully anticipated 2020 was going to be the recovery year and it and it started to look that way if you look at the numbers in January and February we're we're definitely uh, moving in the right direction and then you know the rug just basically got pulled right right uh, from underneath us and you lost uh, you know essentially uh, 30 million barrels per day uh, that came off the uh, demand market and it just completely collapsed you know the the rig fleet um which is understandable i mean it was there was very uncertain times you know i remember very very uh clearly when i was sitting in my office in the middle of june and uh, we get our rig reports uh every day john you and i and we carefully watch that i mean there were six rigs working in all of western canada it was it was a really scary part of the year and nobody really knew what was going to happen i mean there was a lot of anxiety um, you know, the, the problem that, you know, I guess the encouraging piece in all of this is 2021 is starting to kind of shape into the recovery year that 2020 was supposed to be. You know, we've seen, uh, in fact, when we came out with our 2021 forecast, John, in, in November, um, we didn't think we'd uh, get above 80 rigs in Q4, and we didn't think we'd get above 120 in Q1. Well, I can tell you, Q4, we've completely uh, blown that forecast up. I mean, well over 100 rigs. Um, we'll get the numbers. Uh, what were the actual numbers so there? So we were know? up, Q4, we were up 15 over our forecast. Okay. Uh, so we were 
forecasting 80 and we were at 95 and then uh, on off days we were forecasting 7400 and I believe we were we finished at about 7525 so we were up about 100 and a quarter right. on off days so at, but but a significant jump even now just in the first couple of weeks of uh, January we're seeing another jump again so moving in the right direction yeah, and I mean, and after speaking with a number of our members uh, over the, you know, the, the uh, last months of, of 2020 and then into, into January, um, you know, there appears to be a resurgence of optimism. Um, I think everyone is kind of uh, still very much holding their breath and not wanting to jinx anything. But I think most drillers and service recontractors today would, would say, um, you know, they're they're optimistic about what 2021 is going to is going to shape out to be and you know i i think you know we got a lot of <clears throat> a lot of tailwinds right now um you know we have pfizer moderna uh, johnson and johnson apparently has a new uh vaccine that's going through regulatory channels uh one that uh, doesn't need to be um chilled for uh you know as low as the pfizer vaccine and they're saying that you don't need a booster so you know all of these are pointing to uh, you know, reduced restrictions, greater ability to travel. Uh, and I can tell you, John, I mean, one of the things that I miss the most about my role at CIODC is meeting with our members in their, in the communities that they operate. And, uh, you know, it's twice a year. I, uh, I head on the, uh, uh, get on the road, uh, travel from, um, Surris, Manitoba, all across the, beautiful prairies of western canada into alberta and then uh get, getting into grand prairie and fort st john to meet with our members and that's one of the things that i truly miss uh kind of uh, uh post the covid on the restrictions and i sincerely look forward to being able to get back on the road again to meet and talk to our members and and um so we can get uh, to the uh the, the good work our association is is known for and hopefully having some you know positive conversations and and uh, so just on a commodity price from a commodity price perspective i'm looking at the charts here so january 20 2020 a year ago today the wti pricing was 51 dollars and 45 cents today it's telling me that we're at now this is the 18th of january 51 01 I guess if I refresh the page 5233 is what it's telling me today so we're about the same level we're, we're starting the year off the same way we did last year I guess with the exception of uh, higher gas prices so really you know if we can I mean obviously uh, we saw some uh, unprecedented things happen last year and it's I think the odds are pretty good that that's not going to happen again this year so this could be the year. This really could. I mean, we're we're focusing on being positive this year, and uh, our members deserve it. They deserve a good year. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think, like I said, that there are there are the tailwinds that we see budding right now in front of us. Uh, I think the you know one of the big news stories I think for 2021 is going to be on natural gas, and we're starting to see you know the stats just even show the dramatic change in ratio between oil and gas just in 2020 uh, and the migration to, to more rigs into those hot pocket areas of the, you know, the Motney, um, uh, uh, to, to, to name just, just uh, one of the kind of the main um, gas plays in, in Western Canada. And, you know, we're seeing, um, you know, with, with the um, a bit more of the stabilization and long-term pricing uh, prospects for gas that's going to be very good news for both gas producers and contractors that are looking to kind of diversify uh, their market the other the other interesting piece is uh, the, you know you got these new budding industries like you know geothermal and hydrogen and we were just talking to uh, to a contractor that um, is in the helium business uh, drilling for helium in uh, border of Saskatchewan and Alberta so you know I, I think um, as these new industries grow, it is uh, it is it allows our members to kind of diversify into other sectors, which will you know maintain and hopefully grow the overall demand for the services that we deploy. But as we 
we constantly share with policymakers that are um, a bit short-sighted and, and not really uh, in tune with reality that in order for some of these other industries to grow, um, you need a you need a well-functioning, sustainable oil and gas sector and the services profitable in that sector in order to branch off to drill in these other kind of clean growth initiatives like hydrogen and geothermal. One of the things, of course, that supports that is uh, infrastructure. We had a bit of a, I guess, bad start to the year with respect to the Keystone XL announcement yesterday, um, or I guess Wednesday, two days ago, we released a press release yesterday um, expressing that we were disappointed with that decision. Your thoughts on, on XL and, and what we need to do if indeed, well, I mean, all signs are pointing to that project being uh, stopped. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on uh, how we proceed as an international, or sorry, as a, as a domestic uh, industry here? Well, I mean, there's a couple of things at play. One is you, you can't allow this decision to go without, uh, without a, uh, I think, a measured response. And I think we're starting to see some premiers in Western Canada, uh, you know, float the idea of some, some tariffs or some sanctions uh, that would, I think, strongly indicate, indicate our displeasurement with the decision by uh, the Biden administration. I think you have to respond in a measured way because you cannot let this uh, have take a precedence. We have other pipelines, uh, you know, intercontinental pipelines uh, that are that are going to the United States, such as Line 3, uh, to name to name one. Another one would be Line 5, which the state of Michigan has, has now put some efforts together to try to blockade that exist 60 year uh, existing pipeline so you can't let the Americans get away with that we have to respond as a country and I hope I hope the government will take the same team Canada approach as we did when the Trump administration decided to renegotiate NAFTA and put tariffs uh, on our um, our, uh, our our aluminum and, and steel products the the second piece that I I would um, you know more on a, on a positive note uh, well so what I would say is it's I think this just puts more pressure on the importance of building TMX, but then also looking at it strategically determine, look, we need a Canada for first energy policy. And that means that we have to think critically about the, the, uh, the, the domestic energy systems and linkages between our own provinces and country. And that means, you know, possibly looking at seriously resurrecting another Trans-Canada uh, pipeline that would ensure uh, the security of supply to all Canadians. The last thing I would just point out, John, is you know as as hard as it is to see T or, uh, Keystone be uh, in this type of predicament, uh, we're we're starting to see announcements by the Biden administration that I think is actually going to benefit Canada. We're already starting to see them increase environmental scrutiny, uh, environmental regulations that, quite frankly, Canadians have been. Uh, dealing with for and, and, and complying with for a, a very long time and I'm thinking things like methane emissions and waste management uh, uh, flaring etc all of these things I think the federal government under Biden is going to take a much more assertive role and the other thing is they're closing up the ability to drill on federal lands this is all going to create a another uh, potential reduction in supply for American production and that's going to be an opportunity for Canadian production to actually increase and more investment to come into our, our country. Good news. Well, we'll put you on the spot then. Uh, what do you see happening for 21 for our members? And how do we exit the year? Well, I mean, I, I think the first the start is we've already put out a forecast. That forecast has already been basically blown up. I think you know, quite frankly, we're going to, I mean, that's, I mean, that's great. It's great to be wrong in a forecast where you're much more pessimistic and it ended up being um, better than, than you were anticipating. I think we're going to continue to see uh, a gradual increase uh, year over year um, in both recount and operating hours and operating days for the drilling side. Um, you know, it's, um, uh, we're starting to see pricing stability uh, the decision by OPEC to, uh, particularly Saudi Arabia, uh, to maintain price or uh, maintain a supply discipline 
is very encouraging. And then, of course, you know, we know that the world is going to consume energy. And as we get out of this pandemic, the demand for our products is only going to increase. And that means that's going to um, elevate pricing even more and, and create price signals uh, for more capital deployment in, uh, in Western Canada, which is ultimately going to help, uh, help uh, Canadian operations. On the offshore side, we're already starting to see some more exploratory wells being drilled. I mean, all of that is boding well for uh, the prospects out in the East Coast. So I, I, I'm, I'm very optimistic about, about 2021. Uh, I think there's a lot of tailwinds to be uh, to thinking about. Uh, I think the one area that um, I would be most concerned about is, uh, is the labor component. And, you know, we've lost, John, as you know, we've lost so many people from this industry. It's been a long fought, six years, more than six years, 2020 was absolutely brutal. So, you know, as we, as the activity improves, we are now at basically ground level of cultivating new relationships with workers, bringing more individuals back into our business, uh, trying to, to signal the long-term prospects and, you know, the exciting opportunities that are found in our industry. That's gonna take time, but in, in the end, um, there, are, there is a demographic out there that, you know, really enjoys the prospects of working hard, getting rewarded uh, for that, you know, and being able to work outside and, and, to, and to have that camaraderie with, uh, with, uh, with, a, with a crew is, uh, is something I think uh, many uh, in Western Canada and the country, because, I mean, think about how many people, you know, um, move uh, from you know, the Maritimes, Quebec, Ontario, to work in the Western Canadian oil patch. That is going to take some time, but again, huge opportunities down the road. Excellent. And I guess just before we go, um, from your perspective, where are we at with the SRP? And what do you see happening uh, on the service rate side? I mean, we, we came through the year with, uh, I guess, a little bit of trial and error when we received the... Uh, influx of capital from the federal government for the abandonments, um, but I think that things have, well, can you give us an update there? How, where, where are things at and what do you see for that program uh, in terms of underpinning the service sector this year? Well, what I can tell you is there's no question, and I think every one of our listeners and members know, it was, it was a bumpy road to start off. Um, we didn't see um, uh, dollars in the pockets of our contractors and basically uh, boots, boots on the ground. It was frustrating, I would say, really for the first uh, three, four months. But what we're starting to see now, John, both on the Alberta program and the Saskatchewan program, is we're starting to see uh, a lot of activity being driven from this. Um, we are seeing money in the pockets of workers and money and uh, revenue in the pockets of uh, service contractors. I've talked to uh, a number of service recontractors uh, over the past uh, couple of weeks. And uh, in fact, one said that, uh, you know, about 70% of their activity is based on the Saskatchewan and the Alberta program. So there's no question things are working in the right direction. This was always supposed to be a buffer for our industry to have some, some meaningful work. And in fact, what we're actually starting to see is, be, is, is um, is an elevation in the demand for production work as well. So when we see an elevation for production work, because of course we've, we're, we're seeing an increase in, in drilling, you need completions, um, that means that we're actually seeing uh, a really robust market being created within the service sector that's helping to increase uh, prices uh, and rates, which is great. Um, and, and quite frankly, it's getting, it's getting so many people back to work, which is, which is really the whole point of the program. And uh, it was a bumpy road again, but we're starting to see, uh, uh, we're starting to see those, uh, those efforts to get the design of this, this program right. We're starting to see the results uh, in real time. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Mark. We appreciate it. We all look forward to having a, a great year this year and uh, a lot more great guests on the podcast. So uh, we started it off right with uh, CAO, DC, CEO, Mark Schultz. Welcome back to the 
CAODC podcast. We are joined now by Jerry Radui from Clear Directional Drilling Solutions. Jerry, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, uh, John. We are very excited to announce the, um, I guess, the first new division since uh, Offshore was taken on in uh, 1980, uh, the Directional Drilling Division. And we welcome you as our, our first guest from that division. Um, for our listeners who might be unfamiliar with directional drilling, can you give us a quick overview of what a directional driller does and uh, like what type of equipment is used, et cetera? Uh, for sure. So um, directional drilling basically uses a, uh, a um, downhill, downhill motor combined with like a guidance system. For instance, you can think of it like as a, a compass or a global positioning system that uh, tells you where where you are at uh, any point in time uh, in the downhole environment. And uh, the reason for directional drilling is uh, mainly to extract greater reservoir from um, from the uh, from the place that uh, the E&P companies are drilling. Okay. What have some of the challenges been for you guys over the past several years? We've just come through, you know, five of the worst years probably on record. Um, and we know from the traditional drilling and service rig space that things have not been good. Of course, we, we suspect this is identical for you guys, but can you tell us maybe what some of the challenges are specifically to, to your sector that you've experienced? Yeah, I would say, you know, to be honest with you, John, there's, it's very similar in nature to the, uh, to the big rigs and the service rigs. Uh, challenges, uh, whether they be geopolitical, whether they be um, uh, pricing erosion, whether they be, um, uh, for instance, uh, manpower, those, those have all been uh, the main challenges. And we all share that equally amongst our Amongst the different uh, service sectors in the uh, in the, the upstream uh, and the downstream sector. Yeah, manpower is is a, a huge issue. Um, where are you guys at right now? I mean, things are slowly starting to improve. Um, are people coming back? I mean, anecdotally, you know, have have you seen people leave? At, are they gone for good, or is there some, I guess, optimism out there as far as as you can tell right now? Are people looking at coming back? Yeah, the 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 challenge is is that um, we expand and contract like uh, like an elastic band, where in other parts of the world we have steady steady drilling and steady programs, and those programs are laid out for years and years. We're here, we're, we've got our winter drilling. And even though we've got a lot of American companies that um, own uh, properties and drill in Canada, they still have a tough time wrapping their head around that, you know, first quarter is super busy. So um, getting back to your original question, the challenge is guys don't want to come back because they've already have established uh, jobs where you know, their families, their home lives are uh, now accustomed to them being at home in the evenings as opposed to working in the field for, you know, two, three weeks at a time and then coming back. So it's been very, very difficult to attract people that have left. All that being said, though, um, we're blessed with the fact that um, a lot of fellas have uh, hung in there and they've been waiting to go to work. Right. And, and those guys are, are real champions um of our industry right they're real troopers right and uh hats off to those guys for helping us uh through these times yeah Gary, one of the one of the things that we often hear about in our in our industry is the uh the innovation and the technology that has been deployed in uh our sector and i'll just say the service sector more broadly um, you know, I look on the drilling side uh, in terms of higher horsepower for pumps and pressure systems, 7,500 PSI pressure systems that has really unlocked, I think, uh, our ability to optimize drilling techniques and really ultimately produce oil and gas much more efficiently. On the directional side, um, I mean, we know that 
a large portion of those improvements in efficiency have come from the downhole equipment. Can you maybe speak to some of the innovations that you're seeing in this space that have really, um, you know, fast tracked that uh, that productivity improvement? Yeah, I mean, in the uh, <clears throat> and I say it tongue in cheek, the short time I've been in the industry, um, 25, 30 years, um, incredible, just incredible um, innovations. Uh, when I started, you know, electromagnetic. Uh, MWD telemetry was the new thing that that came out there, which is uh, speedier to take surveys down whole. Um, so that's progressed to logging while drilling tools, more sophisticated logging while drilling tools that give us characteristics of the uh, the geological formations. Um, to things like rotary steerables, uh, steerable systems to dual telemetry. So um, having two types of telemetry downhole at the same time, whether it's positive pulse and electromagnetic functioning uh, at the same time. So in a short period of time, there's been quite a bit. So I would say what's been interesting here in the last little bit has been, there's been a fundamental shift. We've gone from um, hardware to now more of a focus towards software. And what I mean by that is um, we've got a lot of innovations downhole. We've got a lot of data. What do we do with that data? So there's companies out there that are taking that data that, that is available. They're massaging it and they're giving it back to clients um, so that they can see what they've done, where the efficiencies or inefficiencies are, to be able to be um, drill even faster or make better use of their money financially. And I mean, obviously to move down that learning curve, or I guess move up the learning curve a lot more quicker than I think um, we've, we've seen in the past. But what, like, what about the, uh, I'm assuming that with this technology, the skill sets and the overall um, competencies that are that you would demand in your workforce has changed as well no um not yet not yet it's i think um the tsunami is coming you're going to see more people integrated that are um, data analysts and data experts so you're starting to see innovations in um, um, uh, artificial intelligence being brought into the industry but we're just on the cusp of that. We're, it's just coming into play where software is gonna be playing a much greater role. And data analytics, I guess it's probably the right term to be using, will play a greater role. And that'll that'll be for everything. So not just downstream, uh, or pardon me, not just upstream, but downstream as well. And, and for all service sectors. So safe to say things have changed a little bit since you, you got into it. How did you get your start? You said uh, you've been doing it for almost 30 years now? Yeah, so um, I'm maybe dating myself or aging myself. but uh, uh, Yeah, I, I actually got my start with uh, very uh, persistence. I, I have a, a geology and microbiology degree and I was in the environmental industry uh, working for a laboratory and I wanted to try to use my, uh, my degree of some sort. So um, I started looking and applying for jobs in the uh, in the energy industry, and uh, lo and behold, I got an opportunity to work uh, for Computerlog, and that's how I got my start. Okay, and whereabouts was that here in? Uh, yeah, it was or? in. Yeah, yeah, I started in uh, Calgary, and uh, had obviously been remained here since. So it's been huh. uh, it's been pretty exciting. Uh, you know, it's. Um, you know, you, you go back to your original question there, John, as to, you know, how do you directionally drill? And uh, it still amazes me and it, it's it's still uh, incredible that we can drill 6,000 meters under the earth. Um, so it's basically, you know, go for a 5K or 6K run and that's how far we're drilling and some downhole to extract hydrocarbons, right? It's It's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. And you're hitting a target of uh, what size? I mean, you guys can get well, pretty accurate. 
Yeah, I mean, um, depending on the, the type of drilling that's being being done. But um, yeah, I mean, if you think of your bit as, uh, you know, six and a half or six, six and a six and a quarter inches big, it's pretty small, right? It's like uh, half the sheet uh, of a piece of paper on your desk, right? So, um, and, and that's the other thing that's changed over time is we've gone from, oh boy, uh, probably 90% of the wells drilled when I first started being vertical to probably it's flip-flopped. Um, 85, 90 plus of the wells are horizontal. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been very, very interesting. Very interesting. Well, what a natural fit for, for membership at CAODC. Um, you know, you were on board probably right from the beginning of, of discussions as, as sort of being positive um, about joining the association. Um, why did you want to see Clear Directional become a CAODC member? Well, I think um, for us specifically, um, I always felt the need that our segment of the industry um, was very important. Um, I mean, if if we're not placing the well bore exactly where the operators want, it's lost revenue, it's a wasted hole, it's it's abandoned, right? So um, to have a, a unified voice and to have a voice that um, we can work in conjunction with the E&P companies um, always made a lot of sense. And I always wondered why we never had that. So when this opportunity presented itself for us, we definitely wanted to be part of that. So what do you think, this is an important time for the Canadian oil and gas industry um, coming off several bad years, but with a lot of light at the end of the tunnel, you know, we've got uh, the market access uh, issues being solved as we speak. Uh, the prices of the commodities, oil and gas are, are rising and steadying. And of course, as we look forward to coming out of this COVID uh, epidemic or pandemic, um, you know, the demand for our products will naturally be increasing. Uh, so we do have a huge opportunity. What do you think, uh, from your perspective, what are we doing well as an industry right now? Like, what can we count on to sort of really set us apart as things turn around? Well, I, I think um, innovation for sure. We talked about that. Mark, Mark, Mark definitely hit hit on that. Um, that that's super key, right? That that's super key. Um, ability to drill wells cost effectively, right? Um, hey, listen, I never thought that we'd get to you know 150, 170 rigs here uh, today, and we're like at 181 today. So I didn't think we had the manpower. I I didn't think uh, we'd be able to put that kind of equipment and resources to work, and it just shows the resiliency of the industry. I think we've seen um, some international players uh, wane out of Canada. I think they'll come back um, because it's still a very, very good environment, a safe environment and an innovative environment for people to uh, to drill in and to produce in. It's uh, from a political standpoint, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the best in the world, right? It's, 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 uh, We've we've have uh, exposure ourselves as an organization to other markets overseas, and uh, what we're doing today is um, literally five to ten years ahead of what some other operators are doing in different markets overseas. Right? It's um, it's it speaks to a lot to the technology. Um, moving forward, though, I think we are going to get busy. There's a lot more green shoots that are available. I think. Um, with the recent announcement here with uh, with the new president, I think that'll that's a bit of a stub uh, stubbed our toe there. Um, is it a surprise? I'm not sure that it that it is. Um, but having said that, I think um, operators here do a uh, a fantastic job of being cost effective in um, how they uh, extract uh, hydrocarbons, and uh, I think the market's going to be attractive again. I mean, I, I look south of the border. 
and uh, down there, they're they're looking at um, today. They're they're trying to do what we did uh, five years ago, right? They're they're their um, investors are all very tired of not getting paid dividends. So they're drilling off cash flow. We've been drilling off cash flow. The guys here have been drilling off cash flow for the past five years, and they've been watching and balancing their uh, their balance sheets, right? Where they're just getting plugged into that now. So um, yeah, I think, um, are we gonna get busier yet as uh, the time time goes on? I think for sure. Um, I mean, your question's fairly, it's fairly big because the pandemic obviously pays a huge, huge part of that. I mean, I know for myself, I can hardly wait to get on a plane and uh, go someplace, right? So I think, um, you know, the amount of uh, um, refineries and, and uh, like, for instance, the airline and, and the tourist, excuse me, tourism industry, those, those, those uh, knobs still haven't been turned on yet. I mean, that's that's going to be huge, right? There'll always be a need for hydrocarbons. I, I truly believe that. I uh, I wouldn't be in this business if I didn't think that. Um, it's in our daily lives. Um, is there a need for alternative energy sources? Absolutely. I think those are there. We're, we need all sorts of energy to uh, to move ourselves forward. So. Um, to answer the other part of your question, I think there's an educational process that's got to continue, and and uh, it's coming, right? It's coming. Speaking of those, uh, you know, those new energy sources, and and you know, I think facts are obviously, I think, in line with what you're referring to about, you know, the longevity and the long-term prospects for oil and gas. I mean, we have a growing we got a growing world that needs more and more energy and you know that's largely going to come from hydrocarbons but you know we all, we we talk a lot about this transition uh to a lower carbon uh economy and we talk about these budding new entrants into kind of this energy sphere i.e. hydrogen geothermal and one of the things we often articulate um to many policymakers is that well you know a lot of the energy services sector that's operating in the oil and gas sector um, are the ones that are going to be driving the hydrogen uh, strategy that you know the federal government and even the the Alberta provincial government's looking at. Um, can you speak a little bit of you know what you know hydrogen or geothermal may? look like as a market diversification strategy for the directional drilling industry? Hey, listen, Mark, I'm no expert. All I can tell you is that um, we've been involved and are currently involved with uh, geothermal wells, okay? Um, they, it, it, is a, it is a great source. Um, it's, very, it's very effective, but it, it provides a small niche. Can our equipment be used for that? Can can the upstream services uh, be used for that? Absolutely. Um, from uh, depending on if you're talking about green or blue hydrogen, um, yes, indeed, um, our our equipment, our services have direct application. I mean, I, I'm not sure if your listeners are aware, but you know, um, on provincial border east of us, there's helium that's being drilled. Um, we've been a part of that. Okay, we that's huge. Helium's huge. Helium people don't realize helium um, is used in the manufacture of a lot of electronics devices, right? It's a um, it's a rare commodity, and it and it uh, it it's um, the price for it is fairly high. Okay, so um, are we transitioning? Can we use our services for other? Um, alternative energy, for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And are we today? Yes. Um, is it happening fast enough? Um, I think it's like anything else. It um, it goes through a transition, and uh, it'll take time to to get to a point where the economics get better for it. But for sure, today it's it's happening. It's happening within our provincial borders. It's happening in British Columbia. Um, yeah, it's happening all over the world, all, all parts of the world. But I think you would, you and I would both agree that you still need the oil and gas industry to even take a journey in that direction of transition into hydrogen and helium. If you don't have a robust 
oil and gas sector that allows us to really um, have that bread and butter economics, so to speak, where most of our revenue is always going to come from the oil and gas. If we don't have an oil and gas industry in Canada, we will not be able to bridge to these other new forms of energy. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. I mean, uh, you, uh, you're, you've, Alternative energy, um, and for your listener, listeners, I, I, I could be wrong here. It accounts for three to seven percent of world supply, right? It's a very low percentage. Um, is the industry doing making inroads to uh, be more effective, be be greener? Um, I mean, there's guys are having to now, um, as part of their reporting, and we're going down a different path here, uh, environmental social governance practices, right? That's huge, right? That's huge. I mean, uh, and that's one of the reasons that I go back to the uh, John's question earlier is, hey, guys, how, you know, what's going to attract people to Canada? What's going to get things rolling here? Well, for sure, that's, that's part of it, right? Because we have those things in place. We've got a, uh, we've got a great, uh, we've got a robust um, uh, legal system and government uh, where in other parts of the world they don't have that. So guys are going to go um, investing capital into places where those things are already in place and, and it minimizes their investment. Well, Jerry, we thank you very much for joining us. Um, before we sign off, though, uh, this is the first podcast of the year, and we've just done our sort of year in review, and we're looking with wide open eyes at uh, 2021 here. We're going to put you on the spot. What do you see happening for uh, Canadian energy, and in particular the services sector? Well, I think we're... Um... Well, it's, this is being recorded, so it can always be replayed down the road. <laughs> My prediction, uh, uh, for sure, I think uh, that we're gonna we're gonna finish out Q1 here. Um, I'm not sure we're gonna tip the scales above 200 um, uh, rigs working. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll get there. We'll uh, come out of breakup, and then I think um, great great things to see in uh, late Q4. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll reserve numbers because I've already talking to my peers. We we, we kind of had an internal bet going amongst our peer group, and I know I was wrong there. So I didn't think uh, we. I, I thought this winter we'd get to 150 max, and here we are today at 181. So it's uh, yeah, I think it's positive. I think um, uh, more will be done as um, the pandemic subsides and uh yeah we move forward with uh more investment coming into the marketplace with consolidation um gonna be happening here a little bit more i think it, south of the border we've seen a lot of that there's still a little bit more to come there uh up in canada we've seen um some of that not as much as i thought but um on the service sector side yeah i think um if if the fellas if we've all as an industry have made it this far I think, um, yeah, I think um, things are going to be, get better for sure. Final question, uh, Jerry, as we all hunker down and are sitting in our basements here during these, this COVID-19 pandemic and, and told to stay away from people and away from travel, you had mentioned that you can't wait to get back onto a plane. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, when all this subsides and you are able to get back onto that plane, what is the destination that that plane will be going to do? Well, it, um, are you asking me from a workplace standpoint or from a, or from a pleasure standpoint? I'll let you decide that, my friend. Yeah, so I, um, I need to, we need to go see our, uh, our clients in, uh, down south of the border and in the Middle East. And uh, on a personal note, uh, yeah, I I, uh, I fell in love uh, sailing in Croatia a few years ago, so I'd like to go back to Croatia and, and do some bear boating and, and sailing with my uh, family. Well, John's been there, so maybe uh, you guys can do a, a double date uh, out to Croatia there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Beautiful. 
Judging by John's last name, mm -hmm. I think he's Ukrainian. I'm Hungarian, so there'd be so, a lot of good food happening on the deck. I know that. That's for sure. What a beautiful spot uh, Croatia is. Holy smokes. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining us, Jerry. We really appreciate it, and uh, we really look forward to welcoming you as a, as a new member of the Directional Drilling Division. And uh, here's to a fantastic year in, in 2021. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks again for joining us on the CAODC podcast. If you have any suggestions for guests you'd like to hear this year or any feedback at all, please drop us a line at communications at caodc.ca. Of course, if you are interested in sponsorship, please give us a call at 403-264-4311, extension 120. Let's make 2021 a great year. We will be back in February. So until next time, keep it turning to the right.